Hello and welcome to the Recovering from Religion podcast. Our mission here is to offer hope, healing, and support to those struggling with issues of doubt and non-belief. What follows is the audio from selected videos posted on Recovering from Religion's YouTube channel. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Faces of RFR. I'm Eric Wells. I am the support group director for Recovering from Religion. And in this Faces of RFR series, what we do is we sit down and talk with a volunteer who's been volunteering for Recovering from Religion, talk about what they do with the, with RFR and uh, get to know them a little bit, get to see, them, see what makes them tick. And today is no different. Today, I am very, very excited to talk with one of my most favorite people with RFR. Uh, so today, I want to introduce you to Shannon. Shannon Nebo, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here. One of my favorite people, I didn't know that. I know you didn't know that, but you are. I, I just see you as incredibly talented, and when I, when I need something done, you work your magic, and it's, it's good, it's done, it's amazing. I do my best. I like, I try and keep everybody happy. I'm a little bit of a, I can be a little bit of a people pleaser. Thanks religion. Um, (laughs) So you you guys reap the benefits of my previous indoctrination. (laughs) All right. I love it. So uh, Shannon, um, where are you located and um, what do you do for RFR? So I am um, in Arnold, Maryland, which is just like, a tiny bit north of Annapolis, which is the capital of Maryland. Some people think it's Baltimore, but it is not. It is Annapolis, um, which nobody has heard of, which is fine. Um, And I love living in this area. Um, We're like right by DC and Baltimore and we have rivers and beaches and I love it. So here's where I am. I live in a house with my husband, Mark Nebo. And my three kids, who are all boys, and 16, five, and <laughs> I got to think about it. Um, I you, have, got a, you got a ton of pets that are running through the house, too. It is a lively place to be from the sounds of it. It is, yes. And, and you might hear from some of those pets throughout this interview. So that's a bonus. That I figure that's a good thing and not a bad thing. So I have three dogs. And those are the ones you'll probably hear. And three cats and fish. And I have two leopard geckos and a ball python. And I have some rats. <laughs> no, intentionally. Who's behind you? Is that the python? Uh, this one? Yes, this is the ball python. She, she's in her little hide right now. She's it's like I tell people that I have a snake and they're like, oh, God. And I'm like, no, she's. She's in a little ball like this big and she's hiding. You won't even see her. Sometimes she'll sit in her, she's got like a water dish. So sometimes she'll sit in her water um, under the heat lamp, but they're like, Oh, will she get out? She definitely won't. Mm-mm. She's tiny. So, so what, do you do, what do you do for recovering from religion? What's your role? So I do a lot of things for recovering from religion. Yeah, you do. Yes. Cause as you said, I'm very talented. <laughs> um, So I am the treasurer. So um, I have, I I take care of all their finances. I file their taxes, which I just did. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. Well, normally the taxes um, 
are not super complicated. Usually it's super duper easy, but this year it was much harder because we made more money. <laughs> more money, more problems. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we can do more stuff. Yeah. Um, so this was kind uh, of a neat um, landmark year for um, recovering from religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2019 was too. Um, uh, it was almost like the start of a whole new um, a chapter for recovering from religion uh, is kind of what I see it as. Um, yes, it's true. It's true. And like, as like cold hearted and material as this sounds, um, money is a huge part of that. Mm-hmm getting those donations and building the programs and um, being able to recruit more volunteers and being able to train all the volunteers. Because I mean, it's not just about like getting people in the door, you know, we also have to train them and we have to support them. And um, you know, because volunteers, like they should be treated nicely and feel like their contribution matters. So, uh, so money, really helps get that done. So, um, so we had, you know, I mean, I guess like, you know, compared to like Red Cross and stuff like that, it's probably not that much, but, um, it was enough that we were able to fulfill some of our, um, some of our goals. So that was really cool. So I do the money stuff. I keep track of everything, um, which is some people would think that it's boring, but I really like the whole orgasm. (laughs) aspect of it, you know, making sure like everything is the way that it should be. I like that. So I do that. And then I guess the more creative side of it, I do the social media. So I manage all the social media. Um, and we have a Facebook and we have a Twitter and we have an Instagram. Um, for now, uh, we may down the road add other platforms, but those are our three that we do right now. Um, which I love managing the social media because I get to, interact. And of course they don't know it's me doing it. Um, but I still get to interact with people and answer their questions. And I get to kind of, it's kind of like being, um, a helpline agent, except a little different, but I get to have that interaction with people and I get to give them resources and be like, go here for help. And I get to see all the support coming in. And so that's really nice. I like that a lot. I get to design graphics. I like that too, because that's creative and fun. And then I'm also the director of the Fall Excursion, which again, another huge creative endeavor. Um, I just love it. I love all of it. The Fall Excursion is something we started last year. It was like the very first one was last September? Yes. August, September? Yeah, September. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we were planning to do one this year, but for obvious reasons. Yes, yes, we have not. We have not like made a big announcement of the cancellation, um, just because at first there was so much more important stuff going on. Um, but we'll announce like the official cancellation. But obviously, we want everyone to be safe, and because the nature of the excursion, it's very intimate, and um, people are in houses together, like cabins. Um, and there's no way to achieve what we do with social distancing. Um, so that is canceled for this year. But that so, just gives me another year to plan. <laughs> so outside of uh, recovering for religion, what do you, what do you do for a living? What, uh, what do you like to do for hobbies? For a living. <laughs> um, so I don't bring any money into the house, really. That is Mark. Um, I 
do a lot of other stuff though. I guess I kind of, I bring resources in um, and I guess sometimes I do bring money in. I've like done a little bit of freelance writing, blah, 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 but it's like a little bit of extra, not a lot. I take care of the whole house. Basically I'm like the house manager. It's, I feel like it sounds very like domestic and gender roles. Mark brings home the bacon and I stay home and take care of the kids. But, um, <laughs> um, but that's what we do. Yeah. So I take care of the kids and I take care of all the animals and I have a, um, a big garden. I only, I only live on like about a quarter acre like including what the house sits on. So it's not like a ton of land or anything. It's not like a farm, um, but I really love to garden. So I have vegetables. I take care of and herbs and flowers and trees. And I'm really into cultivating ecosystems and trying oh, to, wow. yeah, like I like to treat my yard like an ecosystem. So I don't use pesticides. Um, I don't use herbicides except for on poison ivy. Because that stuff. Because fuck poison ivy. <laughs> yes. Yes. I get it very bad. I get it very bad. It's like all I have to do, I don't even have to touch it. To look I at it. That touched it, I will get it. So I do use Roundup on poison ivy, but I apply it very carefully. I only use it on the poison ivy. Um, <clears throat> so I'm, I like to. Um, cultivate pollinator spaces and I like to plant things that are native and I like to um, I like to contribute to like native ecology because uh, I live very like I can see um, a river the, a big river by my house not like a creek but um, one of the rivers that feeds into the Chesapeake Bay by my house so I'm all about trying to help the environment in my small little way. So I do that. Um, and then I, you know, I volunteer for RFR. I get involved in various social justice things. I have, um, I have like Black Lives Matter signs and I'm, um, I haven't gotten involved in my like neighborhood, like civic associations officially. Um, but I am a frequent commenter in the group. <laughs> it sounds like, so, uh, it sounds like uh, sitting still is kind of hard for you to do. Like you just love to get out there and be active and, and make a difference and learn. That's kind of what it sounds like to me. Yes. I do like all that stuff. I guess like I do sit still and I do like resting and all that stuff, but I really love having stuff to do. Yeah. Um, and I like to feel like my life matters. I yeah. like to feel like, there's going to be, you know, that my having been here will have had a positive effect on society and the environment. So. I love that. Yeah. I could relate so much to that. Cause for me, I want to leave this world a better place than I found it. And, uh, uh um, volunteering for recovering from religion definitely fits right into that. Uh, along with a lot of other things that I love to do too. Yeah. Uh, so, um, uh, have you ever been religious? And if so, kind of what's that story? Yes, I have. <laughs> um, so I didn't like attend a church per se. Like I was never a part of a congregation, which it's very weird. I feel like my religion story is very different from a lot of other people's. So my dad was very religious and um, 
because it's kind of like weird, my upbringing, my parents, first of all, let me get this like out of the way. I love my parents. They're very loving. They did their absolute best. I hold no grudges against them. Um, that being said, like everybody has their issues. So my mom, um, my mom was an alcoholic. So there was that. And my dad used religion to deal with that. Um, and so, um, like I said, they weren't abusive, not like that. It was not like that at all. It was just them battling their demons. Um, and doing the best they could with the information that they had at the time, it sounds like. Yes. Yes. And, and for dad, battling demons was literal. Um, so I, um, I kind of, I was a daddy's girl. I kind of connected to him a lot and there were a lot of good moral lessons that he taught me, but he was very religious. He thought demons were real, but he didn't really like any of the churches around here. Um, for various nebulous reasons. Um, so we didn't go. So I just kind of absorbed my religion from him and I took things very literally. So like, I was like reading the Bible, like front to cover. Although when I got to the begats and the begats, I kind of- The whole genealogy stuff. <laughs> yeah, just- Yes. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was like, this is, Oh, this is hard to get through. So I did skip that part. Um, and more like uh, better to, to be in a poster rather than like in a book or something like super boring to read that. Yes, I know. I know. And I, and like, and I didn't exactly understand what was expected of me. So I'm like, am I supposed to remember all this? Oh, I'm never going to be able to remember this. <laughs> um, and my dad was like very into talking about like, what's going to happen when we die. Um, he was very much into the, like, I guess, metaphysical aspect, like the demons and the angels and uh, what's going to happen when we die and revelations, which I read revelations more than any other part of the Bible, because that is the most interesting part of the Bible. I think it's also the scariest. Um, and when you have undiagnosed anxiety as a child, it's a little complicated <laughs> 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 reading revelations all the time. Um, Did you ever read any of the Frank Peretti books that kind of uh, talked about angels and demons and battles that were going on and how they connected with humans? Some scary, scary stories as a kid. No, good. no, I didn't, but I did watch the exorcist um, a few times because dad loved to talk about the exorcist. The documentary and exorcist. Like, yes, <laughs> yes, precisely the documentary, because those, <clears throat> those steps that the priest fell down, those are real steps. And my dad saw those steps because we live in Maryland. It's close to DC, Georgetown, like we're, you know, within range, yeah. within range of the devil. Um, so uh, the steps were real. And when my dad went and saw the steps, he got this horrible feeling. And I guess a lot of people were injured and or died while filming The Exorcist. I have not looked into how true that is. Mm -hmm. um, but dad was invested, you know, the devil's real and this is a true accounting. And he said that he read the book and in the book, it's a little bit different. Um, but it was like, it was like proof for him. It was proof. 
And so, and so I was, you know, a child and I'm soaking all this stuff up. And he focuses a lot about like angels and demons and things like that. More so demons, I think, um, because I think he felt a lot of dealing with dealing with my mom being an alcoholic, dealing with anybody with substance abuse issues is really hard because you don't have a lot of control over it. Um, and 30 years ago, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, uh, they didn't really know how to deal with addiction properly. They kind of treated addicts like criminals, you know, like they were morally deficient, um, not understanding that they were just making it harder, you know, by ostracizing the addict. Um, So so much of the time too, um, what they were taught to do or told to do or uh, learned to do was just uh, sweep it under the rug. It's best if you ignore it and it'll go away. Um, I think it was one step removed from, hey, put them into a uh, 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 asylum, you know. (laughs) Yes. That's what they did um, in some of the previous generations. And then it kind of morphed into, uh, let's just sweep it under the rug. And now it's a lot different um, and more open. And uh, I think we can work on the problem and address the problem much better these days. Yes. Well, mental health care and and the whole concept of mental health and mental illness, it's just become much more accepted uh, for people to have problems and to have struggles and to seek help. Um, Whereas, you know, previous generation, boomer generation, they just smoke and drank and kind of were like, that's how I'm going to deal with it. So, so yeah, so that was kind of my upbringing and it wasn't all bad um, at all. It wasn't bad, like at all. There were so many good parts of my upbringing um, and lots of good stuff. Um, And there were some good things that came from religion. I feel like my, my, I don't know what you want to call it, the, the activist gene, the thing in you that makes you want to be, uh, good to make that makes you want to affect the world around you. Um, religion really cultivated that in me, um, and and kind of I I got my sense of a moral compass from my dad, knowing what's right and wrong. And as I started to not to explore the Bible, explore religion myself, instead of just kind of taking sermons from my father, basically, um, I started to really struggle because of the contradictions in the Bible. Mm. My, my own moral compass and what I learned was not matching up with what I was reading. Um, So I guess that was kind of my, my, the beginning of, of doubt. And then the, you know, the beginning of doubt is, is so fraught with struggle because as a Christian, you're taught that doubt is just the devil whispering in your ear. And when you combine this kind of religiosity with any kind of mental illness, you just get a huge clusterfuck. Mm -hmm. So if you have anxiety, like if you have like generalized anxiety disorder or any kind of trauma, um, any kind of stuff going on in your brain where it doesn't necessarily reflect what's going on, it's all very explainable by saying, well, that's demons. That's the devil. Those feelings that you're feeling um, are coming from, the devil and demons and, and again, you know, a couple decades ago, they didn't really 
look at mental health that much. So it seemed just as plausible as anything else. Yeah. Yeah. So what was, uh, what was one of the things that kind of, um, uh, planted that seed of doubt, uh, and, and kind of, how did you sort of come out of that mindset? Well, I was in kind of the doubting mindset for a long, long time. So there were two big things as a teenager that I really struggled with when it came to the Bible. The first one was, was hell. I really struggled with hell because after reading the Bible, I was like, wow. So like most people are going to hell. Mm. Don't like that. (laughs) That doesn't sound very nice. God. (laughs) Did you, did you, did you like flip it around and think if I created the universe, I wouldn't have made a hell. Did you kind of, Hey, 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 hey." (laughs) there's my five-year-old. There's Nova. Say hi. Hi. What's up, Nova? Good. I'm rich. <laughs> have gems and money. I'm rich. I'm rich. She pays all of our bills. Good. Good. All right. Anything else, Bubba? So, like, I wonder if I'm the richest Bubba or if there's more richer Bubbas out there. There's more richer Bubbas out there, Bubba. Well, like. He's very materialistic. Like Bubba Gump. Well, we call um, we call both of the little ones Bubba's. And it was like a weird sort of evolution of baby. We started saying Bubba. And so Nova and Jupiter, um, my hippie named children, um, are we call them our Bubba's. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then I call my, um, my big one, my 16-year-old, we call him my, my big Bubba. Because he's like a foot taller than me now. All right. Why don't you go be with daddy for a little bit? He loves being on camera. <laughs> he's so, he's such a diva. He's very materialistic. He loves being on camera. He loves accessories. He's, uh, uh, he's quite photogenic. Almost reminds me of uh, a little bit of uh, the uh, Atreyu in Neverending Story. Oh. Just a little bit. <laughs> oh, it's the hair. He's got yeah. that long hair. Yes. Yeah. It's his choice. And also, I got. Stung by a bee in the back. Okay. He did. did. Random fact, he got stung by a bee. (laughs) It was like very uh, theatrical though, because he was just, I was in the garden and he was on the sidewalk and he was just like running around. um, And I think a bee like landed on his hair or something um, because all of a sudden he's running around and then all of a sudden he's like, ah, He was just like, he was really dramatic (laughs) gunned down in the street, you know, just (laughs) starts screaming. And I'm like, what, what happened? Because I was like bent over. I didn't see what was going on. I just heard him cry. Um, And then Mark was out there and I didn't see anything on his back because his hair just covered up the sting mark. He was, he was stung. I think the bee got stuck in his hair be panicked, stung him. And then, of course, Nova was then, I'm never going outside again. There <laughs> he's outside. So, yeah. yeah. So, yes, he's very, um, he is the diva of the family. <laughs> uh, but I can't, with the question, the que- I'm sorry, my children are very distracting. Quite all right. So, we were talking about um, hell and kind of, uh, it, was, it seemed to be one of the first. Oh, yes. I was doubting. Yes. It. 
And I, and I asked you, like, if you flipped it around, um, as in thinking, if you were creating the universe, uh, did you did you think about, like, if you could have done a better job than this? Uh, That's blasphemy. That's blasphemy, Eric. I know, I know. And I'm going to hell just for thinking about it. <laughs> yes, yes. I would have never thought that ever. <laughs> I, no, no, I am not a Mormon. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, uh, no, I did not think that. I just, uh, I was trying to figure out God, you know, like what, what, why, why, like why create these people? And then like, I was always thinking about people um, that had never even heard of God or people that would have no good reason um, to believe or and like, I remember asking my dad about it because I was very distraught. I was like, well, what about like people in Africa who they, they don't even know what God is? And dad was like, oh, well, uh, God will take care. They'll go to heaven because they're innocent. They don't know. Dad's just making this shit up. He doesn't know either. Um, he's trying to figure out like ways to answer my questions, but he doesn't know the answers either. Um, and he didn't want to say, I don't know. Yeah. he. Well, sometimes he would like basically tell me like God would take care of things. He was so, he was very emotionally dependent on religion. He really, really needed it. Um, whereas I kind of was more, was more open to asking questions and I was a kid too. So I had, I had less time being indoctrinated. So there was the, there was the going to hell part. And like, and I read Revelation, like I was trying to like do the math, you know, I'm like, okay, so Revelations says it's like what two hundred twenty-eight thousand or some number. I can't remember exactly the number, but it's some number like that. And I'm like, okay, this is population of the Earth. That's not that many people. Like, what is that? Like, is there some like weird reincarnation thing where there's like, like I'm like trying to like justify it, figure it out, not making any sense. So there's that, and I'm like, I don't like that. Um, and then the other part of it was sex. So. As a teenager, I had hormones and I was like, yes, I like, and like, I wasn't having sex, but I was masturbating, um, secretly and with shame afterwards. Mm. Um, because I guess the Bible says you're not supposed to do that either, even though it was, it's kind of vague about like, um, women, because like, we don't like spill seed or Ever. We don't do that stuff. Um, but then like, we're not supposed to do it except for having children. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that for a really long time. And I really like masturbating. So it was like a battle of like urges and guilt, which is fun. Not really, <laughs> you know, like you get, it's, you know, it's like being like a priest in the Catholic church, the urges and the guilt. Yeah. Ur- guilt and dad was like very much like I was to be like a as pure as the driven snow and not even think about sex I was not even a sexual creature I was a girl you know but I didn't have any of the girl parts I was a girl in theory with no genitalia you're like a Barbie Um, girl yes yes um And so, yeah, and and dad was, like, very, very against sex. And I remember one time, gosh, how old was I? 17. 
and it was like my first boyfriend and uh, I was going to like stay. I was like going to stay the night at my boyfriend's house, but he was living with his parents. I can't effing remember exactly what the circumstances were, but dad was like, you're not going to sleep with him. You're not going to sleep with him. Right. And I'm like, right. (laughs) So, (laughs) so there's like the lying part of it too. And when I, when I was pregnant with my oldest, I was uh, 19 when I got pregnant with him Um, on birth control. That is not 100% effective by the way, especially if you miss the pill by mistake, which I did. Um, And I got pregnant with my oldest and I remember telling my dad and his reaction, his first words, I'll never forget it, were so you're having sex. (laughs) This was a big letdown for him then, huh? (laughs) Yes. And I wanted to be like, dad. Actually, no, I didn't have sex. I don't know what happened. It's a miracle. Mary in the Bible. Yes. That's what I should have said. <laughs> oh, my. I don't think he would have believed it. But, no. yeah, so that was his reaction. And I wanted to be like, I've been having sex since I was 16. But, you know, because I, like, I wanted to get credit for, like, all the years I've been having sex and didn't get knocked up. But... I didn't do that. So yeah. So sex was another like big one where I was just kind of like, why is God going to make us be like this? And then be like, don't do that. It's like, why didn't you make sex not so fun? Or I don't know. Why didn't you just make it the rule not be don't do that ever? Yeah. Yeah. So those were, so hell and sex, those were the things. And I would always, whenever I felt like anxiety, I thought as a teenager, when like I started masturbating, whenever I felt anxiety, I thought that it was the demons coming for me because I had masturbated like however many days. Oh, Oh, that's horrible. I know. I laugh about it now, but it was horrible. And I would just like cry and, oh, I didn't want to get possessed and throw up, you know, the the pea soup stuff. (laughs) The exercise was so real for you. (laughs) Yes. Yes, because my dad told me it was real, and I believed him. Oh, Shannon, my heart goes out to your younger self. I was so trusting. I was just so trusting. And I was like, if my dad says that it's true, it is true. That's why I believed in Santa Claus until I was 13 years old. Because dad just didn't have the heart to tell me. He kept trying to hint at it, but he just couldn't write out, tell me. You know, he'd been lying to me. Since I was like, I don't know, four, three, four, whatever. <clears throat> so, yes, it was very trusting and uh, it didn't always work out. Yeah. Yeah. So how would you uh, describe your current beliefs? I am an atheist, um, but I'm not, <clears throat> I don't, I guess I'm like an agnostic atheist. Like I'm not like, there's no God, gods don't exist at all. Um, I'm just more like the God of the Bible doesn't exist. That's not real. And the God of Islam doesn't exist. And these structured gods of religions that have been made by men don't exist. Mm. If there's a thing, I'm not particularly concerned about how it's going to treat me when I die. Um, 
And I don't think it gives a shit about sex or any of that stuff. I mean, but I feel like pretty confident that when we die, we just kind of rot like everything else. And the lights, the lights turn off, curtain goes down. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people think that that is like, I struggled with it a little bit. I struggled with the thought of there not being a heaven um, because for the longest time, I, that was a big motivator for me. Um, I struggled with there not being a heaven and I struggled with a lot of stuff. Um, And one thing that really helped me was understanding the value of rest. Um, So like I said, I have three kids (laughs) and um, you know, I have three kids. There have been times where I've been ill. There have been times where I've been in great pain. There have been plenty of times in my life where I've suffered immensely And there have been times where I have just been so, so tired, where all I want to do is rest. And, um, and I feel like this isn't true for everyone because there's lots of ways for people to die. And many of them are not fair at all and don't really give the person a very good shot at life and living. Um, but for a lot of people, people who get old, people who get sick, um, they're, being able to just stop can be a gift. Hmm. It, it can be such a gift. Um, and if you don't have any emotional hangups, if you don't have anything, um, and again, this is not going to be the case for, you know, all ways of leaving life. But a lot of times when people die, they're very ready to be done. Yeah. Um, and it's just, I just remember all the times that I've ever felt ready to be done and um, the, the feeling of peace and release um, that comes with rest. And so I kind of look at death like that. Hmm. Yeah, my, um, my grandmother lived until she was about 92, 93, and mm-hmm. she was sharp as a tack sharp as a tack all the way up until she passed away. Um, And there was, uh, you know, she was a moment where she said, you know, I'm, I think I need to go to the hospital. And so we, and yeah, there was clearly something wrong and she was in the hospital for a day or two. And then she kind of called us in, you know, I'm, I'm ready to go. I think I'm done. And we were very, very sad. She was an amazing woman, but uh, it seems like from her end, she was done. She was very happy and, and, at peace with that decision. And um, uh, she was, luckily though, she was, she had her mental um, faculties up up until she passed, but yeah, she told us she was ready to go. And um, it was, it was different than like a violent death or an unexpected death or something like that. This was something that seemed to be in her control and um, how she wanted it to be. It was, and I, I got to say, I, I don't know if you ever, you may not have seen the movie Big Fish. I did. Mm-hmm. That, that was why well, I just recently watched that again. And that was, seems to be kind of the, the message of that story of like creating your own life, telling your own story and being in control of how it ends. And uh, it's just, it's beautiful. I, I, so I like that sentiment. Mm-hmm. And thanks for, thanks for bringing that back. Cause this is something that I struggle with a lot is uh, my own, uh, fear of death and mortality. and I mean, it's totally out of our control. We have no say in the matter whatsoever, for the most part. Some people do. 
but a lot of us don't have any say in it whatsoever. And I feel like, like, that's how I live my life, you know, like, and I, a lot of people are like, live your life to the fullest and go do the things. And, and for some people, it means like parasailing and jumping out of airplanes. But, um, and for me, you know, it, it may be big adventures like that once my kids are grown. But right now, like if I were to die tomorrow, I have lived my life to the fullest. I loved my children deeply. I've loved my husband. I've taken care of every living thing around me. I have tried to contribute to, it's like, I, you know what I mean? Like I have done my best. Like I can feel like, and I guess that's kind of the way I try and do it. Whenever it is that I go to rest, finally, I can say I had so many happy moments and I left so much love and I did my best. Oh, man, that's, that's cool. That's I love it. <laughs> There's a lot of allergies and so my eyes are watering up. I apologize for that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I just, yeah, I... Because there's that's all you can do. That's all you can do. All you can do is do your best. And you know, if there's no heaven, then like, what do you leave behind? You leave behind the lives that you affected, and the things that you grew, and the things that you nurtured, and the things that you loved. It's like, and there's just memories and echoes of you. But there's that's the eunice that you leave behind. So it's beautiful, man. Uh, so kind of coming out of uh, religion, what was what has been the um, hardest thing that uh, to overcome the 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 thing that you've struggled with that kind of stemmed from religion that you've overcome? What was the hardest thing? I think the hardest thing for me, and I feel like so many people share this, at least I've learned that so many people share this, um, is the fear of hell. Mm. Like, yeah. <clears throat> even when I was like, I'm pretty sure the God of the Bible, like I was, I was, I felt pretty comfortable in like the, the belief, you know, of there not being God, but there was still this lingering, oh, but what, but what if, but what if, you know? And, and hell. So that was, that took me probably a good year after, like, even when I said I was an atheist, there was still that echo of hell in the back of my mind. Um, that took me some time to sort out. Like, I really had to think about it a lot. And I had to um, watch some YouTube videos and read some other things that people had said and talk to other people about it. Um, to really kind of help me process all that and to help me really feel like I wasn't going to hell, you know, like, like there's beliefs and there's feelings and those two things don't always quite match up. And sometimes, you know, the feelings come first and sometimes the beliefs come first and it takes a while for those things to really come together. But yeah, I would say a good year for me to process my whole fear of hell thing. Yeah. It takes, uh, it takes some time for the two to match, but it also takes work. And it sounds like you went and put in the work to kind of figure out one way or the other for yourself. Oh yeah. Well, I, that's how I am. I, I put in the work. Like if something is not in alignment, I mean, not to sound like uh, wooey or like crystals. I don't mean like that, but like if things, if my feelings and my beliefs don't match up, if I'm having some kind of like dissonance within myself, it's very uncomfortable for me. I do not like that feeling at all. Um, so I do work very hard to try and 
figure things out. So you use that sense of dissidence almost as an indicator that, hey, there's something I have to work on. You almost, it sounds like you almost see it like as an opportunity rather uh, in, in some sense. That's, that's impressive. That's, that's awesome. Well, I mean, it's like, it's, it's just being self-aware and listening to yourself. Yeah. And, it's, and it's not just, you know, dissonance. It's like if you're sick, you know, if there's something wrong, if there's something wrong in you, um, it behooves you to pay attention to that so that you can fix it. Mm-hmm. If you're feeling ill, if you have a cold, you shouldn't go around acting like you don't. You should rest and take care of yourself. And it's the kind of the same thing. Um, and I think I attribute this a lot to growing up with mental illness and having to find ways to cope with it um, before like medication and all that kind of thing became more like available and mainstream. Um, but if something feels wrong, it's like, why? It's like, you don't have to keep feeling wrong. You don't have to feel this way. You can fix it. I like that. Nice. So let's talk a little bit about um, recovering from religion. How did you first hear about RFR? How did you first come in contact with it? So the first time I heard about RFR was in 2012 in Austin at the American Atheist Convention. It was my first atheist convention. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mark and I... Can't remember if we were married yet or not. We might not have been married. Living in sin. Um, <laughs> heathens! Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, and so we were tabling there, and um, there was the RFR tables like across from us. So that's how I first came into contact with them, um, and some of their volunteers. And I like. Since since jump since the first time I ever heard of RFR I was like that is awesome because I was like I needed that I need that like I need that so and so many other people need it so I just really like even before I got really involved um, we donated like we we were totally into it as soon as we heard of it. So um, uh, why did you, uh, you kind of somewhat answered it, I guess, but why did you actually step up and volunteer? Like um, what? Uh, that was my dog. I don't know if you heard that. <laughs> a little bit. Groaning of- noise. That was yeah. my- <laughs> All right, he's doing it more. <laughs> Fine. Uh, so yeah. So um, what, uh, what, why did you step up to volunteer and kind of, what do you get out of doing this kind of work? Um, so... When I, so at first it was just like, I was just kind of helping them out a little bit Um, as like an outside entity. I just was kind of helping them um, with like store some of their stuff. Like I was a very organized person. And so I was helping them get some of their, some of their stuff in order. Um, And then as I kind of got more into it, I really liked what I was doing. And um, I saw like they, they had a need um, and so they asked me to be on their board, which I was like flattered. I was like, uh, yes, of course I will. Um, and I get, I get so much fulfillment out of it. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm really like my existence is making a difference in people's lives, like a tangible difference. Um, and I do the, like, I guess if I were like only doing like their books and stuff like that, maybe it would be less rewarding because I wouldn't get to like interact with people, but because I'm also doing the social media part of it, um, 
which I was doing, like I was into social media and managing social media before RFR. So that was already kind of a strength of mine. And I kind of saw a need there and I started contributing there as well. Uh, It just, it's just so rewarding to like people have a problem and they're suffering and identify with that because I used to have those same feelings. I used to have the same fears and anxieties and I can just be like, oh, here, here's a solution. And then they feel better. It's amazing. And it's so easy. It, like it, it's like all the, the resources are right there. Like we have a resource section. It's been curated by our resource volunteers. Um, and it's like, here is a solution. Or do you need to talk to a person? Sure, no problem. Here's our helpline full of specially trained agents who can help you exactly with this problem. It's just so awesome to be able to hand people these very viable solutions to these problems that they've had. And they like had no idea that any of this was real. And they're like, their brain explodes. They're like, oh my gosh, this is, yes, this is what I needed. And it's just so easy. It's, it's fantastic. It really, like, I, I love it. I love it. Yeah, and it's it's the the rewarding part too. Kind of comes from not only understanding a little bit where folks come from in the um, uh, struggling with uh, their doubts and concerns and even their trauma stemming from religion, but um, I uh, suffer from uh, mental um, illness too. I've got uh, depression that um, medication has been wonderful for. But um, I so I kind of know not only what it's like to come out of religion, the, the trauma that can be there, but also how dark it can be for a person who has a, a mental illness um, and struggles with those kinds of uh, issues too. And so not only how dark it can be, but when somebody steps up and uh, wants to help you out and provides a resource to help you out, that pinpoint of light, that pinpoint of hope out on the horizon just uh, <laughs> makes me feel good. Yeah, it's a huge difference. And it's just, it's like, yes, it's like you're struggling. Here's a bunch of stuff that can help you. Um, And one of the other things, and I I guess maybe I didn't mention it because it's a little bit like selfish in a way, but um, I get a lot of fulfillment uh, out of belonging to the RFR, like the community, but the leadership team, like just all of us, working on this and we are all so focused on the mission and it's I feel I feel so feel so blessed Um, (laughs) uh, so fortunate to be able to work on a team of people where there's no divas there's no like there's no bad actors everybody's just like wants to help people and wants to support each other and it's such Oh, it's so great. It's such a great team to belong to. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> so what do you see for the future with your work of, uh, with RFR? And, and what will keep you going, uh, continuing to work? Well, I feel like, um, so we have goals. Um, and I'm very, I don't know what the word is. Um, I'm very goal-oriented. And I can be a little competitive. And, <laughs> and I, I like uh, results. And I like seeing things happen. Um, and like I told you where, you know, the, the taxes issue where I had to file like, you know, big girl taxes this time. Um, 
isn't it wasn't like the old form called like an easy form and now you know it was um so if you make um and i can say this because soon like because our tax everything is public so it's like there's no secrets so if um if you are a 501c3 and you bring in under 50 grand you basically all you have to file is like this little postcard that says like this is the name of the organization and this is our tax id number and do you assert that you only made this much yes sign here and then you send it off um but if you make over that, you have to actually, it's like regular like filing taxes and you have to um, fill out all these extra schedules. And it's a, you know, it's, it's not that bad now that I've done it um, and I know what to expect and everything, but it's definitely way more work than just this little postcard. <laughs> but having like, so we have like fundraising goals and we met them and we got this huge grant from um, Craigslist. Um, and we got the huge grant from Craigslist because I signed us up for something like with, with PayPal, like their PayPal giving or something like that. So like they found us and they're like, oh yeah, let's give them a bunch of money. And so it just feels so validating and cool for these larger entities to see the value in our work. So like there's that and I want to build on that. Mm. Um, and then just seeing, so like we've, we've mostly been focused in the United States, but we are branching way out of that. We are having, I mean, you know, cause you're on the support groups. Um, we are appealing now to, we have like international. So, and mostly English speaking for now, but we're building on that too, because we have people helping with Spanish speaking and we help, we have people helping with German speaking. And as we get more volunteers coming in that have the skill set that allow us to grow, we can continue to help and serve people. And it would be great if one day nobody needed us, but we are nowhere near close to that. And as long as there are people out there that are suffering in this way, we can help them. So it's just, that's, that's where we're going. Like we're doing it. We are growing. We are achieving those goals. So I guess what's motivating me now are what, and what has been motivating me before is just seeing our growth, seeing that we're doing it and that we can do it. Um, you know, it's like, it's like planting a little seed and you're like, man, I don't know what's going to happen here, but good luck, buddy. And then the seed comes out and you're like, oh, great. It's a plant. I hope it doesn't die. You know, and then it starts having fruit on it and you're like, yes, this is, this is what I wanted. So, so yeah. So I guess our continued success motivates me a lot. Yeah. Awesome. All right. I got one last question for you. I, I like asking this question. Okay. So if you could travel back in time and talk to your past self, oh. <laughs> who would you talk to and what would you talk about? Oh, <laughs> it's so hard because I feel like if I did that, I wouldn't be where I am now. Sure. Sure. Um, because I, it's so like, okay, I am not grateful for all of the assholes in my life that have gotten me to where I am. I'm not grateful for them. I'm here despite their assholery. Um, but 
gosh, it's so hard because I've had so much stuff. Like, if I were to go back and talk to myself, would I have become an atheist sooner? Probably. You know, would I have, like, sought um, attention for my anxiety sooner? Probably. Um, Would I have not dated several of the people that I dated? Probably. But then I wouldn't be where I am right now. I don't... Like, I don't want to go back and talk to my past self. Because you like like, you are now? (laughs) Yeah. Maybe, like, maybe I'm thinking too big. Maybe, like, I need to, like, go back, like, just, like, a couple days ago. Maybe I would, like, go back a couple days ago and be like, hey, don't make that banana bread because the bananas have gone south. (laughs) And you're going to have to make something else instead. It's not going to be as good. (laughs) Don't even put that sugar in the bowl. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Great. <laughs> well, Shannon, thank you so much for uh, sitting down and talking with me and letting us get to know a little bit more about you and kind of uh, your story. And I, I really, really enjoyed this chat. Um, thank you. Yeah. Before we sign off, is there anything you want to you wanna say or, or something I missed? Oh, goodness gracious. I, I guess... If for anybody watching this, if, if you are struggling with any mental health issues, get help because it will change your life. And I think a lot of people, sometimes people are afraid to get help with mental health issues because they feel like <clears throat> their, their mental health issue like gives them some kind of an edge or something. Like sometimes depressed people are afraid that it's going to change who they are or anxious people Um, they're afraid of different things. Like they're afraid that the medication side effects will ruin their lives because they're anxious and that's what they think. Um, Talking from personal experience Um, or people who suffer with mania will be like, well, I don't want to miss my highs. It's like, no, it's not going to like alter who you are. It's just going to give you more control over who you are. Like you get to make the decisions instead of your brain being like, this is what's happening with you today. So I guess there's that. And then if you're struggling with religion, recovering from religion, we do not turn people into atheists. Mm-hmm. If that's what happens, that's what happens. But we are here for people who are doubting. We're here for people who, wherever they are in their belief journey, you know, we're not a deconversion uh, group. We are just here to help people if they're struggling with doubt, with certain beliefs, with aspects of their religion. Because most of us, most of the volunteers have been there and they understand those doubts and those questions and the feelings that you're having. Um, So reach out to us and get help. And don't worry that we're going to turn you into an atheist. We're not here for that. Um, We're here to support you. So there's there's that. Um, And then... The other thing is uh, if you love what we do, if you love recovering from religion, this is one of the best teams I've ever been on. And we can make use of almost anyone, almost any talent. We can, um, we can put you to work. So if you want to be a part of a great team and have like awesome feelings of validation and solidarity, volunteer with us. And if you don't want to do that, but you have some extra money, you can give us your extra money. 
and we will put it to good use. Shannon, I couldn't have said it any better myself. Thank you. <laughs> All right, folks, that's going to wrap up this episode of Faces of RFR. Uh, we're going to have another one coming out soon, but um, if you got a moment, take a look at some of the other interviews we've done. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out all of our fun social media stuff because Shannon does a fantastic job working that. And um, if you're interested in volunteering, take a look at our website, recoveringfromreligion.org, uh, to learn more about us and how to volunteer. And if you're struggling with some doubts or some religious issues, uh, trauma, reach out to us. Don't hesitate to chat with us, to um, call us. We're, we're here to help you. We're here to listen. And um, uh, we don't think you should be suffering. We want to make it as uh, easy for you as possible. So thanks, everyone. And until next time, we'll see you later. Recovering from Religion is a nonprofit organization whose mission it is to provide hope, healing, and support to those struggling with issues of doubt and non-belief. Hope, healing, and support is waiting for you on our website, recoveringfromreligion.org. There you can speak or chat with a trained agent who will work with you through your struggles and doubts or to help find resources that may work for you. You can also find local Recovering from Religion support groups in your area for the long-term recovery work. Resources specifically curated for those struggling with doubts, disbelief, and trauma can also be found on the RFR website. To connect with a secular therapist in your area, go to seculartherapy.org and create an account. If you'd like to support the work that RFR does, you can donate or sign up as a volunteer on the Recovering from Religion website. It's also a big help subscribing to the RFR YouTube channel, our blog, or following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Questions, comments, and suggestions can be emailed to us at rfrx at recoveringfromreligion.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll be with us next time on the Recovering From Religion podcast.